time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky team, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Uh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. Stay tuned, because it's on now. The Tom Sumner Program. COVID-19 is the biggest health crisis in our lifetime. We're working around the clock with doctors and hospitals to stop it, but we need your help. Even if you don't feel sick, you could be carrying it. And just one person with the virus can infect another 40, who then infect thousands more. So I've issued an executive order requiring everyone to stay home to help limit the spread of the virus. Let's protect the people we love. Stay home and stay safe. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. It's time now for Armchair Politics. Join host Tom Sumner for this weekly reality check on current events in local, state, and national politics and the real issues that really matter. You, too, can be part of Armchair Politics. Find us on Facebook. We let the dogs off their leash. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Welcome to this week's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. Joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our panel of political pundits includes, on the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Paul, welcome. Good morning. Good to be here. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Henry, good to talk to you as always. Good morning, Tom. And last but not least, joining the roundtable for this week's edition of Armchair Politics, political operative Bobby Clayton Walton, who's always a pleasure. Bobby, welcome. Thank you, and good morning, guys. Morning, Bobby. Good morning. Well, as uh, as we usually do, we start out with some quotes, including our uh, first up, the finish the quote. Whenever a man has cast a longing eye on offices, um, how would you finish this quote? What happens? Mm. Um. He trips up. <laughs> yeah, something like that, Bobby. I don't know. I think it's a good one. Well, uh, here's 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 the original quote. Whenever a man has cast a longing eye on offices, a rottenness begins in his conduct. Oh, man. That's ah. Who do you think said that? Ah. Huh. 
Well, I I, I, I don't know. do these I, things I, to to stump you. It's it's just yeah, a, a way of remembering some interesting things that have been said. That was Thomas Jefferson. Oh no, kidding! Uh, I'll be there. I was going to say John Stuart Mill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, here's uh, here's the quote of the week. This has got to be the the quote of the year so far, probably. I don't think he's fit for office. I don't think he has the competence to carry oh. out the job. I don't think he's a conservative Republican. <laughs> That's got to oh, be Bolton. Oh, it's a mustache. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, John Bolton's book. Yeah, that was yep. uh, former National Security Advisor John Bolton said he will not be voting for his former boss, President Donald Trump, or the presumptive Democratic nominee Joe Biden in this year's election. Instead, Bolton told ABC he will figure out a conservative Republican to write in, perhaps Henry, uh-huh. perhaps Henry Hatter. Um, <laughs> That's right. Well, well, well you, know, you know what I thought of when he said that? I thought, you know... He has been the disinterested observer through this whole thing. He doesn't want to involve himself in it as being implicated or even as doing anything to correct it. He just sort of observes. So he's still observing. That's true. And, uh, and well, he's gotten criticism because of it, because he's, he, he didn't testify at the impeachment trial and waited for his book to come out. So. Did you, um, yeah. Now, the book just came out yesterday. And uh, although a lot of information from the book has been leaked by people who've read the book and reviewed it, and uh, I haven't had a chance to even read any excerpts other than what I've been able to pick up from some of the reviews, Uh, but I did speak with um, uh, Mark Everson, who is my go-to guy on, on these types of things because he worked in the White House. In fact... Um, he worked in two of the four administrations that John Bolton worked in. And he worked with John Bolton in the uh, Justice Department for a time, and he knows John Bolton. And so he was on the show yesterday, and he said one thing I thought was, was very interesting. He says, John Bolton never changes. He is. He is the same as he was in the Reagan administration to in the Trump administration. But the, but the real question um, that, that I have is, will Bolton's book and his subsequent criticisms of the president have any impact on the upcoming election? No. Yeah, I doubt it. In one sense, there was nothing surprising there. I mean, there were new details, but I mean, much of the things that Bolton said had been said by others in, in many ways for the last three years, so there's nothing dramatically shocking there, I suppose. Um, on the other hand, I, I, the only thing I, I wonder about, I wonder whether or not Bolton making the movie did is going to signal that some Republicans are going to move away from Trump. I mean, that's been happening a little bit, the George Wills and people like that. But well, George that, Wills, I, I go, that goes way back. There yeah, have been some recent the, ones like, like Mattis and Kelly and, and yeah. now John Bolton. Um, that's That's been a little bit uh, a little bit interesting, and I don't know what it says because it might be too inside baseball for the average voter. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's also true. Probably. There's, there's a really good article in the most recent Atlantic on on um, collaborators, and uh, by Ann Applebaum. I just finished reading it. Oh, 
And it sort of addresses that question, why do some people peel away and others don't? Hmm, yeah. I mean, again, from what I've been, I've been seeing is that it seems like a few more are peeling away, you know, the, the Romneys and a few others. Now, whether it's going to be a stampede, I suspect not. And again, my, my overall thought is it's not going to change much probably in the big picture. But you well, may see a few oh. more people peeling away. What do you think, Henry? Well, I, you know, I think that uh, the president is a different kind of a leader. He's a tough leader. He demands people follow the protocol that's been established and what he expects. And he doesn't, you are not that big enough, not so that he can't get rid of you. Yeah. You got to you know, play to the toe. He's a tough guy and he will always be there. No matter who you are, you're a woman, a man, a Republican, a Democrat, a black or white, he is Trump. That's true. <laughs> That's sort of like Bolton. He hasn't changed. <laughs> you know, one thing. One thing I'm and watching. He does, is, and he and his and in his own words, he doesn't kid. That's yeah. also yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Except when he wants to kid. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, one campaign I'm watching is the John James one, and, and so far, at least in the ads he's run, he has not mentioned that I'm aware of any connection to Trump. So I, it'll be worth watching whether James tries to separate himself from Trump or whether he embraces Trump or walks some kind of a middle line. I, but he, but at the same time, he hasn't missed a Trump rally or that, appearance or, that's true. you know, something. when the vice president was here, he was front and center. He's, he, in fact, I think I have something coming up a little later on, on that very thing because um, he seems to be trying to do both. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, run point. alongside the president and distance himself at the same time. Yeah. Well, he's relying a lot on, on Democrats and uh, independents as well as Republicans. And I think that every person that's running for position ought to have that propensity to try to siphon away those people who are yet undecided. And one, Mom and apple pie. One one more thing for uh, uh, on Bolton before we move on to some other things, um, the uh, the back and forth between uh, the president of the White House and uh, and John Bolton um, was he fired or did he quit? <laughs> it's one of those deals. That you're fired. You can't fire me. I quit. <laughs> well, that's how don't I don't let the door hit you. That's and don't let the door hit you as you leave. It sounds like it. Yeah. Does it matter? No. <laughs> Not really. Not in the big picture, I I wouldn't think. I yeah, I I, I mean, it, you know, we've heard that the way uh Paul characterized it, you know, so many times, you know, you can't fire me, I quit, you know, that's the the standard comeback, you know, right. to somebody who's been embarrassed by being let go, but I, I don't think Bolton is the least bit embarrassed whether he was fired or quit, I, I don't know that it makes uh, any real difference. I would think Yeah, I think he had, he has lost a lot of ground, he had no no, uh, standard to stand on so he had nothing to add so he just played uh independent ball here's kind of a sidebar thought are there are there any uh retirement benefits or severance pay at stake in these kind of jobs i really don't know 
Uh, well, we, I was we, just going to say, if he was fired, yeah. he could collect unemployment. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah. Uh, wonder if he'll get a stimulus check. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> One more unemployed. You know, he, he wouldn't conditions of severance pay that they that they work out. He's he's yeah. been uh, accused of not testifying during the impeachment and holding on to his information for the release of this book as some kind of uh, financial uh, benefit um, that that he was uh, holding out for the paycheck. Um, but he he says no, I, you know this isn't about the money. And um, Mark Everson said the same thing yesterday. He said, "Well, John, I don't think it is about the money." I don't think it is either. You know, no, I don't think it is. They're downloading free copies of it. I have a free copy of it that was sent to me by a friend. An e-copy. It's down on my computer. I can read it and didn't pay for it. Oh, well, I just sent it, Bobby. That's that's good. <laughs> well, I, I guess I need better friends. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't been able to find it yet. I, yeah. But I haven't had time to look that hard, though. I, I have been really quite busy the last few days. So uh, hopefully I will be able to uh, wrangle up a copy or at least a, an excerpt um, because I, I am interested in this one. Yeah, same here. Uh, let's well, see. Well, it's supposed to be very well written and easy to read, so we'll see. Yeah, yeah I don't think um, Bolton minces words. Mm-mm. <laughs> I think that's, he, no, that, that's he never been his style. In shades. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't imagine. I, I imagine it'll be pretty direct. He, he usually is. Um, let's see. I we've just got about a minute and a half till it's uh, time to go to break. So I don't really have time to get this uh, this next piece in. So we can uh, stay on Bolton just a bit I was going to say, this is, kind of a, this is the last of a long string of books that have been critical of Trump, and they, it seems like they last for about a month, and then there's a new book out or a new revelation out. And uh, so I, in terms of the financial sales, I, I suspect it'll do well for a couple of weeks for a month, but after that it'll be old history, I suspect. Is I it, imagine there'll be a lot of redundancy and repetition. Uh, yeah, a lot of these um a lot of these White House tell-all books by former staffers are are somewhat the same. But is it a little different in John Bolton's case in that uh, the timing, you know, going right into uh you know, we're right on the heels of the the national convention or conventions in the Republicans case. Um in in a presidential election, and is it unusual for somebody like a John Bolton to come out and say, you know, I wouldn't vote for this guy? Yeah, I don't I think, think at the convention that that'll have anything to do with it because those delegates who are going to convention have already decided. They have. I think the difference is he was actually in the room, actually heard Trump talk about the Ukrainian uh, quid pro quo. He was on the call. He, yeah, he was. Yeah, the yeah. First it does nail down the details a little bit more concretely. Right, he's a witness as opposed to just being an observer. Right. Well, right. we're going to take a uh, short break. Let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in edgewise, or do whatever they do when we go to break. They are WFOV ninety-two point one FM, our voices radio in Flint, and uh, we're 
if you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well, and we'll be back with more. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Hi, I'm Dr. Jonay Caldoun. We know that COVID-19 is spreading rapidly across Michigan right now. The most important thing people can do to protect themselves is social distancing. That means unless you are a critical infrastructure worker or going out to get food or medicine for your home, you should be staying at home. Stay home, stay safe, save lives. Most of the music you hear on the Tom Sumner program is provided by local artists. Tune in Fridays at 11 for live music and conversation with some of the area's most talented singers, songwriters, and performers. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe Bai from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zondrick. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. This is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Tom Sumner Program, celebrating the rich talent pool from Flint, Genesee County, and throughout Michigan. In just a little while, you folks are going to have the pleasure not only hearing the songs of the star of the program and all, but you're also going to have the pleasure of hearing and watching and seeing in person the gentlemen and ladies who have been supplying the fine mu- music behind the curtain this evening. It's a wonderful orchestra. I love to hear them play. But and while you would possibly never even consider counting how many piece- pieces there are in the band, it so happens there are about, I think, 26, 27 members of the orchestra, the stage orchestra here. And the only thing is they used to play in Ho- Hollywood. And when they were there in Hollywood, California, there were a 65-piece o- orchestra. And when they were hired by the Ni- International Hotel to come here and play, they all got on a bu- on the bus... All 65 of them with their instruments and everything and headed out for Las Vegas. The only thing was, when they crossed the Nevada state line, they had fruit inspection, and this is all slept. Here are some most happy fellas, the four lads for four. Standing on the corner, watching all the Fords go by. Thunderbirds kissing cuz 
This is Jill Stein, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Armchair Politics continues. We have uh, Paul Rosicki on the left, Henry Hatter on the right, joined by uh, political operative Bobby Clayton Walton. And we uh, continue with our quotes of the week, and and here's one. You may not, uh, well, maybe you'll recognize this. I, I doubt if you'll know who said it, but... When someone tries this hard to keep from telling folks what he knows, you kind of have to wonder what it is that's being hidden. Did you see that in the news this week? Um, That was uh, Christopher Hastings, a professor at Western Michigan University's Cooley School of Law. On Thursday, June 25th, Former uh, Michigan Governor Rick Snyder is scheduled to be back in the hot seat, deposed in civil lawsuits and facing questions not about his responsibility for the contamination of Flint water, but what others, including members of his cabinet, knew and what they did or did not do to prevent it. The deposition is a result of a U.S. Court of Appeals ruling earlier this month that required Snyder to sit for the deposition with one exception questions that pertain to the remaining charge against him in cases brought by residents who say the former governor violated their bodily integrity by exposing them to lead-contaminated water and hiding what he knew about it. The testimony is potentially a big deal, but it all depends on what Snyder knows, Hastings said. Do you expect this deposition to uncover anything new? Not really. Yeah, after all this time, I, 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 I'm not. I, I don't expect any surprises. I, I agree with Bobby. Yeah, but I, th- I think it could clarify some things, because the governor, just like any person that's in charge of a business, or some kind of a governmental responsibility, has to take take one step back and look at the issues. What does he know? What does anybody else know? And how do they know it? And look for the facts. And and on a board of education, that's what we always did. We tried to uh, discern ourselves with facts first and let the people bring the facts forward, and we decide on those. And I don't think the governor knew everything. He couldn't possibly know. That's a complex issue and involved a lot of people. The term that comes to my mind is plausible deniability. Sometimes there are things that go on that the person in charge doesn't really want to know about because then they don't have to be responsible for telling anything about it. Yeah, so they can't be held accountable later if things go bad. That's true. But that's the one thing that I I, I don't like about how the governor, was, the blows that he was dealt, is that he didn't get a, a good chance to find out what the facts were in a time that was opportune to do anything about them and to protect himself against criticism. Because there were people at lower levels that failed to uh, act, and then there were uh, other people who had responsibilities that didn't act. There was the EPA, there was the DNR, there were the city of Flint. All of those people engaged in that activity. And the first thing you say, and, and, and we know this about the governor, any time a jurisdiction can't 
carry out its responsibility to protect the interests of the people or to provide health and safety, it's up to the governor to move in and do something about it. The buck stops there. Yeah. Yeah. So we still don't know, but definitely, how much the governor might have known. Because and as you point out before, Henry, the, the folks who changed the documents were really the ones who no. were the most culpable. We, they are unforgivable. Yeah. yeah. They could be my brother or sister-in-law, and I'd still say sweep them. Hmm. <laughs> well, the city's Blue Ribbon Task Force on COVID-19 has issued recommendations for businesses, churches, and schools, which includes guidelines for the use of masks, social distancing, and cleaning protocols. The 34-member task force, chaired by Mayor Sheldon Neely, issued the guidance Friday, June 12th, after meeting through online conferencing for the past six weeks. The full report is available uh, online at uh, www.cityofflint.com and includes the following recommendations. Adopting cleaning protocols to ensure proper ongoing sanitation and disinfection, including clearly identifying how often all surfaces will be cleaned. Uh, testing employees before they return to work and requiring daily health screenings, asking guests to conduct a health screening before entering, mandating social distancing to the greatest extent possible and modifying workspaces to install barriers as needed, requiring employees and guests to wear masks unless they are medically unable to do so, eliminating shared items such as pens, menus, and magazines to the greatest extent possible, Uh, Developing a response plan for employees and business operations if there is an on-site exposure. Being as generous as possible with paid sick leave for employees. Uh, My question is, was a 34-member Blue Ribbon Task Force really necessary to come up with these recommendations? (laughs) Those have been kicking around for the last six months, practically. (laughs) Well, that's what Uh, I thought. The only thing I can think of for a task force has any value is in spreading the responsibility for the decisions because usually if it falls on one person they can really be beat up yes um i agree it's it's a way to placate the public when the public is gullible that's what you do you feed them back something like that well you know the old the old line is when you have a problem form a committee yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah which is why we have a governor who makes emergency orders because she knows how the legislature works. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm sure we're going to be digging into that in the next uh, uh, I in the we next would. hour or so. Um, but uh, here's something that's uh, sort of breaking news in a decision yesterday: the Grand Blanc Township Superintendent's contract was terminated unexpectedly during a Board of Trustees meeting. The action to terminate Superintendent Dennis uh, LaMata was not an agenda item for the meeting. It passed 5-2. to two. Supervisor Scott Bennett and Treasurer Earl Guzek uh, cast the dissenting votes. Board member Al Mansour made the motion to exercise the termination clause of LaMata uh, of his uh, employment agreement. LaMata's employment agreement says the board can terminate the contract without cause as long as he is given seven days written notice, uh, according to Township Attorney David Laddie. 
Uh, termination without cause also means Lamade is entitled to a 90-day severance package, Laddie said. Um, does this seem a little sudden? How unusual is it for a board like this to just up and fire somebody with no ramp up to it? Well, yeah, you would. Go ahead. I was going to say the Flint School Board did something similar with the superintendent there recently, but it certainly is unusual, it seems to me. Yeah. It looks as though that he has something against him, Lamada, that's easy to prove. And that's wide open. That's that well, I, really I, visible. I think the I, trustees owe it to the public to at least make publicly known the reasons for why they're firing him, even though they don't have to. Yeah, yeah the, the, to be fired uh, with uh, unfairly—that's bad. You don't want to do that because you have you're indentured for a long time if you do that. So they had to have something that was very easily provable and that's on the agenda of everybody in Genesee County of the United States that's considered unethical or wrong. And that's the problem with it, Henry. If if you fire somebody without giving them public uh, notice of why they're being fired, especially if you can, um, at, at will, you have already tarred them with the possibility that what they were fired for is something so bad that you can't tell people that's really awful. That's true. It's, and, the individual and we know, their own reputation. And we know most of that board by their names. Right. Yeah. We, we know who they are. And yeah. you have to look at the guys and see if these guys are likely to be ethical, and um, or at least one or two are likely to be ethical, who voted for his uh, dismemberment from the board. Was there any discussion about, you know, potential reasons, or they just said you're fired and no discussion at all? Probably. Uh, yeah, I had I, I, I not heard any discussion of any kind of reasons that were given at all, or even suggestions of reasons. No, it just popped up. It wasn't on the agenda. Yeah, you know, it was yeah. just a motion was made, and they voted 5-2, to two and, and he's out. Um, I, I suspect we're going to be hearing more about this. There will be back talk, but I'm, this is really not very good in the public interest. Yeah, but we can pick out some of those things that are likely to be the issue. Uh, stealing from the government, one, poor contracts, yeah, poor interfering supporting with contracts, what, supporting two. What I said. Yeah. <laughs> uh, number three is um, uh, dealing with a female employee, stuff like that. The public mm -hmm. won't accept that right now. Mm -hmm. And uh, so you can at least nail down some of the potential possibilities. Or it could and, be that he does they don't like him. Well, well, I'm not sure if you don't like a person, if he's doing the job that you ask him to do, that it's easy to get rid of you. It is. It's very easy. When I first moved here, the Davidson City Council was trying to fire the city manager over nothing more and the fact that he came down in favor of the merger between the Davison Township and the Davison City. He was doing some outreach and talking to the public and doing backgathering and all that. And as far as I could see, he was not a bad city manager. He came crossways of the four people that were recalled from the city council subsequently. And I used to go to the, board, uh, the meetings and confront them on why are you firing him, make it publicly known, because it isn't fair 
to be firing somebody like that publicly without some sort of explanation on what they've done that makes them ineffective. You know, very often local politics is the nastiest kind of round. There's so many examples of that. He's just, just here in Genesee County alone. But he can sue for wrongful discharge because that is not one of the things that you rightly, I mean, could have. Uh, if you're an you at-will employee, how do you sue for wrongful discharge? Yeah, yeah. If you're not what? If you're at-will, they can fire you without any reason at all. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Well, I was right. uh, looking over... Uh, Paul's list. Paul always sends me a list of some things to uh, consider for discussion. And usually, uh, we're we're pretty much on the on the same page with the things that, that we've noticed in the news. But one that I didn't see and couldn't find anything on was uh, the city council meeting this week, which was conducted <laughs> without a quorum. How is that even possible? Uh, yeah, they went on. My understanding, I, I did not hear much of it on, online. But my understanding was they went on for four hours with a quorum, and then two people were dismissed. And this is all a, a, a virtual meeting. Two people were dismissed and left, and then some others left, so they lost a quorum. The city attorney apparently says, you haven't got a quorum. You really shouldn't be having this meeting. And it went on for at least another hour or so to hear public comments and have other discussion. As far as I know, nothing of any consequence was resolved. Uh, in the meeting at all, but it, it did go on for at least an hour beyond having a quorum, and that apparently is a violation of the uh, Open Meetings Act and all of that. Uh, so but you can make it, you can have the meeting, but you just can't take any action. Well, yeah, of course. The yeah. Council, as far as I know, they took no action of any consequence. No, they can't. At least what I've read about it. Again, I, I did not hear the whole the whole thing myself. Yeah, I think if they tried to close the meeting to the public. That would definitely be a violation of open meetings. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, for the first time in 15 years, all three Flint Community School unions have a ratified contract. The Flint Community Schools Board of <laughs> Education ratified a new collective bargaining agreement with Congress of Flint Schools administrators at a special board meeting on uh, June 10th. Administrators had been operating under an expired contract since 2015, Human Resources Director, uh, Director Cassandra Washington said. Washington started as HR Director in 2019. A uh, teachers' union contract ratified on August of, uh, or in August of 2019 ended a five-year-long teacher pay freeze. It was only a year-long agreement, so negotiations will continue soon. Flint School's paraprofessionals were operating without a contract for 15 years before the board ratified their new contract in December. Negotiation with the Congress of Flint School's administrators began in fall of last year and continued through May with some delay due to COVID-19, Washington said. Will the Flint Community Schools be financially able to fulfill these contracts or these agreements? No. That's no. Big, yeah, they don't have any money. Yeah. And I, there's I, no I, source of money unless they go out and, and raise the, taxes, uh, ask the people for taxes. Or and the enrollment is plummeting. I mean, I mean, you take a look at the yeah. enrollment numbers, they're, they're, they're just cratering. In, in too little, years. too late. Yeah. It's doomed. Yeah, it's like giving an impossible job to do and then grading them for failure. 
Yeah, and you know what they did is they waited too long to act. They waited until the school district was without resources. Then they go in. Well, I got a contract. Sure, they're going to give you a contract because you got to have a source of money. If they don't have the source of money, they let you know up front. Well, we can sign this contract, but we can't well, guarantee you. Wait. The one thing that occurs to me about that is. Under a contract, even if you run out of money and you have to close schools and you have to lay people off, what does that say about future obligations regarding pensions and benefits? Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's been the killer for the city of Flint is all those legacy yeah. costs. Yeah. I was yeah. going to ask, Henry, from from what you from your school board background, what do you see as the, the long-term or even the short-term future of the, the, the Flint City schools? Are they going to survive independently at all, or are they going to be absorbed by surrounding districts in some way? They have to, uh, first of all, they got less than 5,000 kids. They got more like closer to 3,000. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, a school district cannot survive at that cost with all of the buildings that they have to operate and the legacy cost and the construction cost and uh, that has to be retired and stuff like that. They have to dissolve like Detroit did and start anew. Are they able to go bankrupt? Is that a possibility? Well, someone has to declare them. Well, when they can't pay their bills, then they go into receivership, state receivership. Okay. What was the story? Was it was it up in Birch Run where they can, they they closed down a district and just parceled out the students to surrounding districts? I, I, in the Birch and Run area. That was area. Kalkaska, wasn't it? Well, Kalkaska did that too, I believe too. But I thought there was yeah. one up in the Birch Run area within the last couple of years. Uh, it was there was one the over, one there, there by Frankenmuth. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, there was one over in uh, Western Michigan in the Marshall area. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Buena Vista is the district. Buena Vista. You, that's that's right. Of. Buena Vista was. Yeah. 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 That, that's Saginaw. That's Saginaw. Saginaw County. It's just, yeah. Sag, it's just outside of Saginaw. Yeah. They um, they just they they just basically shut the district down and uh, shipped the kids out to uh, other uh, districts. I think Franken has yeah. got some of them. And and part of the problem wrong with. Uh, that was really wrong with these districts that uh, had to go out of business is because they couldn't decide to say no. They first of all had to reduce the staff and the unions didn't want that and the administrators were afraid to say, put their foot down and say, we can't support this and therefore we're going to have to hire 10%, 10% per increment per year or whatever. You know, until we get it down to a cost that we can deal with. They'll say, oh, but we can't teach the kids. We don't have enough teachers. We're, the classrooms are, are be overcrowded. The people will be mad. But you still got to make that kind of decision or get out and let somebody else do it for you. Does this, does this say something about the way that we carve up the county into separate school districts when perhaps one countywide school district would be more efficient? Mm. Well, I, I think it's leadership. I, I think that people who understand finances know what they can't afford and what they can. Then they, they settle for these contracts that uh, where they know they don't have the money and they don't have the can vision you not afford, of where to find can the money. You not afford, 
But Henry, can you not afford to educate the children? Uh, well, you cannot afford to operate a deficit in, in Michigan schools. That means that you well, have to deficit, squeeze There's down. a deficit in education when you're not able to but provide then, it. But what's happening in uh, school districts like Flint's and, and really even cities like Flint is they were in a growth mode for decades. Mm-hmm. And, they, you know, they built infrastructure, they built buildings and, and accommodations, and then all of a sudden it just shrank down to, you know, practically nothing. And they've still got all this stuff that, yeah, you the know. The tax base cratered. Yeah, the tax base cratered. Everybody left Flint. Well, not everybody, but a whole bunch of people left Flint. More than half, exactly, field. yeah. And then, then you've got the legacy costs of a city of 200,000 being supported by a city of maybe 90 or whatever the number is going to be this year. So, yeah, I mean, and, and those those things are are <laughs> crucial for any local government. They're, they're, when you have that kind of declining population and declining tax base, you, there's no way you're not going to and and the leadership question that that Henry raises really speaks to um, you know school districts uh, making the determination that you know that the tide has shifted and and getting rid of uh, all these assets that weigh them down going forward mm-hmm. yeah uh, you know uh, one of the things that the uh, schools did that was very evident and uh, was a dumb thing to do. Back in 1994, when President Clinton uh, passed the school-to-work legislation and and gave the school districts a sum of $500 million to go out and hire extra teachers to uh, lower the class size. Well, what they didn't recognized at that time was that money was only a single donation for that time. Mm. They went out and hired teachers that they couldn't get rid of. We were offered the same thing at Clio, but we did not use that to hire teachers. Absolutely not. Because we couldn't deal with having to lay them off. You know, but if you were permanent uh, you you had to carry the cost along with you from having hired a teacher that's now uh, become part of the entanglement of negotiations. So we stayed away from that. But many teachers who were hired in Flint got jobs that were long-term jobs, and they couldn't pay for them after a while. And you know what's going to make it even tougher, of course, is the impact of the whole COVID virus and the and the decline of, of, of tax revenues for schools and lots of other things. I mean, that's clearly going to be a, a hard a hard sell issue for, for all kind of things statewide. Well, now, yeah, that's, the, that's important to add statewide because state money is going to start drying up very that's right. quickly. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. It's already beginning to dry up. It's been drying up for some while. 
Well, we've uh, got to take but, a short break here, and we will return with more armchair politics with uh, our roundtable regulars, uh, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Bobby Clayton Walton. If you're listening to us on WFOV 92.1 FM, our voices radio in Flint. They are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my good friend Paul Herring. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. We'll be right back. Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. The Tom Sumner program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner program. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not. Is a major factor in dancing like a retard. May cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them. Also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people. And it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. Alcohol may cause pregnancy, and it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila! Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the bath. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. The interest of goodwill. The Hoffman Beverage Company feels compelled to make this announcement. It's simply this. 
All Hoffman flavors have that happy taste, except sarsaparilla. We might as well come right out with it. We haven't quite hit that happy, carefree note in sarsaparilla. Now, please don't misunderstand us. Our Hoffman sarsaparilla is absolutely dependable. It's trustworthy. It's loyal. And many fine, upstanding citizens love it. But it just isn't what we call happy. You take our Hoffman orange. It's absolutely rollicking. Our lemon is almost giggly. Our black cherry and black raspberry are so bubbling with happiness, they dance in the glass. They all have natural flavor and famous Hoffman steady sparkle. We're sorry about Hoffman sarsaparilla. Why isn't it happy? Well, let me ask you. Could you be happy if your name This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. We continue Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Joining me this week are Roundtable regulars Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, and they are joined by Bobby Clayton Walton as we uh, as we continue on. Three months after... Thank you, Tom. Can I, can I have a last comment on that last subject we were talking about? Sure, Henry, uh, go ahead. My schools. Now, you know, Bobby asked a good question. Do you let kids go to waste? Do you just let them die on the vine? No, you don't. You put that burden by doing exactly what you do, run your school district down to no money at all, and this is, and you get you have a balanced checkbook or a balanced bank account, so that all bills are paid, kids are learning, and they are meeting state standards. Then you put the the job to people and Lansing. You give that responsibility to other people, and they didn't do that. Got to be smart enough to let other people do your job when you can't do it, and when you're meeting all of the requirements that your job calls for. That's educating kids, making sure that they're safe, and making sure that they're meeting standards. Then the state has to move in. They have to figure out a way to find the money. Bobby, that's the question that I should have given you when you asked that. Yeah, and that's <laughs> going to be a tough issue, as I say, as, as the state you know, is strapped for funds with the, with the uh, COVID virus and everything else. I, I can but it falls back to the state. Yeah, oh, I agree. The state. I agree. The state has that responsibility. Yeah. Yay. Yay. Yay for the state, because they've moved so quickly. Um, <laughs> one, of the, one of the things that occurred to me uh, was the growing importance well, maybe it's not growing, it's just growing in my mind, of the state school board and the state school superintendent and the kinds of uh, policy and standards that they set, plus the uh, function of the state legislature in establishing so-called school of choice options. I heard a very good presentation a few years ago by the retiring state school superintendent, whose name escapes me, um, but he spoke to a combined committee, both House and Senate committee, on the issue of budgets and the issue of schools. And he said that the whole issue of school choice was breaking a lot of the schools, in particularly Detroit, Flint, and others, where the kids that would be normally going to that school are now being pulled out by parents who have the means or the, um, the ways to do it and pulled them out and put them in the suburban schools, which weakens the city schools, then the city schools can't prepare a budget ahead of time that really reflects the reality of the number of students that show up in the fall. And so what you've done is you've hamstrung 
the uh, the city schools, like the Flint schools, the Detroit schools, the Saginaw schools, and others, by opening up the possibility for all of the um, the kids that would make it into a more diverse population and concentrating it on those that have more needs. Yeah. But schools must be competitive. You can't let some schools... Schools are not businesses. Uh, but, they, but they have to be, they have to meet standards. Teachers have to get their kids to a level where they can move up level by level. Like, that's the expectations of all school districts. And if Flint or Detroit are not meeting those standards, then they fall victim to the process. But the charge, Once the charge again, is I say it's giving, it's giving them an impossible job and grading them on how well they do it. Yeah. Well, the that's what, record is that's that what it's all about. Kind of it's about competition. If they don't, if parents don't like the if parents don't like the if parents don't like the the school district that they go to, schools of choice offered them another choice, and this is where black parents were concerned about that in Detroit and Flint. If your kids are not, and the kids that were the kids that were pulled out had opportunities that the kids who were left behind did not. So who are the ones that are suffering in those kinds of situations? Well, you have to go back and fix that. And how you fix that, the protocol is already set for school districts. And if you want to bring those kids up to snuff, you got to go back and fix that. That's not the teacher's fault. It's not the Board of Education's fault. It's not Flint's fault. It's the system's fault. Let the system fix that. I, I think exactly two-thirds of the kids are going are, are not in the Flint school. Two-thirds of them, or at least two-thirds or three-quarters of the potential students in the city of Flint are going to something else besides the Flint public schools, either charters. He, yeah, schools, they, they are. So, and right now, with, and, and with even the population with, drop, right now with the population dropping all over the county exactly. and everywhere else, we're losing population. Other communities are willing to accept Flint kids. Exactly. That's right. To and make up the budget, and and even so, they don't lose anything. And even with that fact that that a lot of the kids are choosing alternative schools, the Valley School has uh, just recently announced their closing. I saw that story. Yeah, they've been around for a long time. I was quite yeah. surprised. And it's and it's all been made. Uh, it's all been made even more complicated by COVID nineteen. Michigan Republican lawmakers are proposing a back-to-school plan that would require in-person learning for K through five students in the fall, and direct federal funding towards developing more robust virtual learning plans and safety measures. The proposal hinges on 1.3 billion dollars in federal funding that would be used for one-time boosts of $800 per pupil to K through 12 schools and an extra $500 for teachers who have been working through the pandemic. Another $80 million under the plan would go directly to school districts to coordinate and implement distance learning plans and increased safety protocol for in-person instruction. Schools would be allowed to start the next academic year at any time under the plan, removing the requirement for districts to obtain a waiver if they uh, intend to start school before Labor Day. Educators would also be expected to lean on remote learning during poor weather conditions, dropping the number of forgiven snow days from six days per year to two. Republican lawmakers stressed the need for local school flexibility when considering the uh, 
best path forward for reopening based on local health data and the needs of students in their districts. How will the upcoming Democratic plan differ? Hmm. I, I, I have no idea. I, to be honest, I'm not even sure how to be You're going to have a challenge. It's going to be a juggling. I'm drawing a blank. I was trying yeah. to picture a kindergartner wearing a face mask and a teacher trying to make them keep it on. I, yeah, that's, yeah, that's. Uh, I, uh, I mean, uh, and, and even even the colleges are kind of struggling. I, I'm not went all all online for the summer. I'm not sure what their plans are for the fall right now. They're signing folks up, but it's, you know, how, how you're going to do. do do a mixture of the online and in, in uh, regular classes is going to be a mess for for colleges as well, and, and they're all struggling with whether or not they're going to have football, whether or not they're going to have regular classes, whether it's going to be all online, or whether they're going to end early. It's it's, it's really going to be, and it's going to depend upon how how the 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 virus plays out too. We we really don't know that. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead, Bobby. What I was going to say about the teaching online, uh, one of the things that occurs to me is many of the teachers that are uh, currently in classrooms and teaching, well, not currently, but they've been trained and they've been teaching, uh, it isn't a, a different skill to be able to teach online, and don't you need to be able to develop that so that you're more effective when you're doing it online? Is it yeah. harder for people? I, yeah. I, 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 exactly. I've done both, and that's exactly. true. You're, you're exactly right. Everybody can teach online. You know, yeah, they have your best people put the football. I had, over. I, had <clears throat> I had great sympathy with you in the spring when all of a sudden you had to shift from a traditional class to an online class. Now an online class, if it's done right, can work well and it's got its place. I think it's 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 reasonable under some conditions. But to shift gears in the middle of a semester while you're starting off with a regular class and go to an online class, it had to be very chaotic for a lot of instructors this this past spring. Yeah. And you do have some collective uh, uh, systems. You, uh, maybe once a week you meet collectively and as a class, but most of it is by computer. I would like to see um, the teachers who are currently trying to do online or those who are perhaps going to be doing online to be consulted, to be brought in, to be uh, contributing ideas so that the people who are making the decisions have good information from the point of view of the people that are carrying out their policy. Yeah, good point. I, I think point. they demand that, at least uh, in my school district, they demanded that. We've been doing online teaching for a long time, and it's by choice. It's yeah. not for And again, if it's, if you it's done to, right, I think it's got its yeah. place. If it's done and you've right. got to have the best kids who are willing to, to be able to work independently in confined space. There are kids that can do that, but there are other kids who just sit around and thumb pencils and stuff like that and do nothing, and the parents can't help them. We've seen that, and then and there's the dilemma. You get yep. the choice to do this, and you're going to have a lot of you're going to have a high failure rate. Big dilemma. Yeah. So uh, you know, and here's the other thing: uh, school districts will have to work out a formula where they don't accept a risk that endangered the kids from COVID. Now, you know, schools don't have the money to pay these lawsuits. There are many parents that's going to sue school districts. And that has to be worked out with the legislature and, and with uh, 
the, the people who were at the table. But and that's one that we got to do first. And at the, Take the burden off the school district. And at this juncture, we have to take a short break, but we'll be back with the second half of Armchair Politics after we take a short break for uh, Top of the Hour ID and uh, so on. And uh, we can pick this up and talk some more. I, I just spoke with, uh, I've been interviewing uh, state representatives as part of my uh, uh, primary uh, election interviews and uh, Cheryl Kennedy from the 48th district is uh, very involved in education and she was telling me a little bit about what uh, what she's been involved in we'll talk about that when we Hi I'm Alexander Zanjic don't touch that dial you're listening to Tom Sumner 